everyone. Welcome to another episode of Space Flicks. This is the podcast where we review a movie and decide if it's worth the cost of beaming out to a lonely astronaut in the far reaches of space. I'm Dan. I'm Adam. And today, and today we are review. What are we re- reviewing, Adam? Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. That's right. The uh, I, I don't know about you. I, I know this movie mostly as the final performance of the late Chadwick Boseman. That's probably as good a way to think about it as any. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll quickly read the synopsis for the listeners. Uh, Chicago, 1927. A recording session. Tensions rise between Ma Rainey, her ambitious horn player, and the white management determined to control the uncontrollable, quote, mother of the blues. Based on Pulitzer Prize winner August Wilson's play. All right. Very dramatic synopsis. So directed by George C. Wolf. Do you have any familiarity with that director? Uh, not much. Uh, I know that he has a few directorial credits uh, to his name, including Lackawanna Blues uh, and The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, um, which were both TV movies. Um, okay. I know Henrietta Lacks was quite a popular, that was quite a popular book. Uh, and so, but it's, um, you know, not, not a deep filmography, although has been directing, has directorial credits as far back as 1991. Um, as far as, okay. uh, but you know, so not his t- first rodeo. Yeah. I mean, not, in, not inexperienced, not a newcomer, certainly. Um, but not a ton of, not a ton of at-bats. Well, good, good for him to get this opportunity. I feel like this is a pretty high-profile movie. I mean, it's got some big stars in it. Definitely. And it's, you know, it's kind of a prestige release from Netflix, right? Um, what were your expectations of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? Well, uh, I feel like I'm generally pretty excited to watch movies that take place in recording studios i like are scenes <laughs> not 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 that most movies take place entirely in recording studios but i generally find recording studios to be great settings in movies a because i just like recording studios mm-hmm. but b it's sort of like there's something um very revealing about uh in good in good movies when you know the engineer hits the record button and the performers have to like make art on a microphone. I just think there's something really um, revealing about that in a, in a useful way. I mean, and that ranges from um, for example, like I think a great, a movie that I have, you know, middling feelings about generally, but the scene I really liked when, um, when uh, in the movie Ray, when Ray Charles sort of discovers, what did I say? Right. That's like a great Mm. sequence. that's really sort of exciting and sort of, I think helps, portray like the feeling of creative genesis right which is exciting and then sort of on the other end of the spectrum a movie like uh boogie nights when dirk diggler is recording you got the touch like in the recording studio like brutally out of tune uh you know and totally talentless um it's just like these are great sequences to reveal the the genius or lack thereof of of the person behind the microphone, and so that I wanted that kind of um, electricity of creation, right? Whether good or bad, and 
in that regard, I don't feel like, uh, well, so sorry, I'll, I'll speak to my expectations. I wanted that. You I wanted, can, you can get into, you can get into first impressions. As I wanted well. sort of it? like that crackle of creativity. Uh-huh. I wanted, um, cause that was my understanding, right? It was like between, it's going to be this competition between Ma Rainey and her horn player. And, um, you know, I was hopeful Levy. that we, we would get to see something, some sort of sophisticated artistic debate about mm-hmm. the future, about where they wanted music to go. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what I was sort of in a perfect world hoping for. But it didn't quite deliver on that is I, I take it from your tone. No, uh, but we can get to that in a second. But what were your, what were your expectations going in? Okay. Um, well, I didn't even know. I don't think I, I don't know that I even saw a trailer for this movie. I don't think I saw a proper trailer, put it that way. I think I saw, you know, Netflix when you like are just hovering over, like if you scroll to a movie, it'll play yeah. some something that's kind of like a trailer, but I think it's typically not like a, a true trailer. It's normally like a small clip or something. Yeah. So I think I'd seen that, but I don't think I'd seen a proper trailer. Um, and I think whatever it was that I saw, I don't think it really did emphasize the recording studio setting. So I don't, I don't think I realized this movie was going to take, going to have so much, um, you know, some of it, so much of its running time would be sort of in a recording studio. Um, so I didn't have those expectations, although I definitely share your sentiment. I think just thinking about it now, um, I don't, to be, to be candid, I hadn't put any thought into it until you said it just now, but I think there's something very special about the relationship between movies and music making. Like Mm -hmm. I think, I think a movie about recording music is kind of a perfect thing more so because, because, because of, I think what you're talking about, about this like view into the creative process that movies are able to give you. Yeah. And I, and I personally find it, um, somehow just more pure than like, you know, there's a lot of movies about making movies Mm -hmm. And there's something sort of vaguely kind of masturbatory about that for me. Right. But like when it's about making music, it's like a totally different medium. So it can be more just sort of, you know, an earnest sort of form of appreciating a way of creating art. And I think music is, 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 is just perfect for that. So I share your, I share your love of movies that, that have recording studios at, at their center. Um, But as far as my expectations for this movie, all I really knew was that it was kind of like a, you know, it was a good showcase for Chadwick Boseman. I, I think I'd read that, you know, his performance in this movie was really good. Um, and from the little bit I saw, I knew it was going to involve, you know, Viola Davis as Ma Rainey and Chadwick Boseman as this kind of ambitious trumpet player. And that's really all I knew. So I was just looking forward to kind of a, you know, I assumed it would be kind of character driven. Um my understanding is it's based on a play. Actually, yeah, it's right there in the synopsis. So like I was expecting something maybe not super cinematic, maybe a little bit more like watching a play. Mm-hmm. And that's not normally, that's not typically my jam. Like it's not like the thing I would go out of my way to see. But I think knowing that it was that, I was able to put myself in that mindset of like, okay, I'm watching basically a play right now, mm-hmm. right? Right. And as long as I'm as long as I'm in that mindset, I can appreciate those kinds of things. So my expectation was that it was going to be really good performances and that I would enjoy it. But given that, you know, those are never, those are seldom my like top movie of the year. 
Um, I wasn't expecting to exactly love it. I just thought I would appreciate it and like it a lot. Um, and I guess we can get into first impressions. I would say I, I did like it a lot. I, um, for, for movies and we've, I feel like I'm repeating myself. I'm sure we've talked about this before, but movies that where, where the sort of distinguishing characteristic is really great performances Mm -hmm. tend to not be movies that I find super enjoyable to watch Uh to be just, to be perfectly honest. Like, I mean, we talked about Tenet, right? And I was like, I kind of am okay with the lack of character development and all these other things that you want in a movie just because the action I loved and like the premise was so interesting. Right. So those are the things that I think tend to really excite me with movies and performances are more like the icing on the cake. Um, So in a, in a weird way, I'm almost embarrassed to admit I was kind of expecting to like not really enjoy this movie that much, but just sort of appreciate it. Right. But I think I did enjoy it. I think I was, um, I was, I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed the dynamics between them. Um, I was genuinely, uh, curious, you know, to see what would happen like in the story of the movie. Right. Um, and so I think this is, this to me is one of those things that happens when I don't really have much expectations for a movie. Um, that's, that's a good position to be in as a movie. Cause then you can just, you can only impress me. Or, or meet my expectations, right? Yeah. Um, and this movie impressed me. It was, uh, I, I, I found it to be more entertaining than expected, but also it, it did pack a punch emotionally at times. I thought the performances were really great. And I think it had, you know, a good amount of just uh, fun and sort of joy of music making in it, which I, which was, which was infectious. And I, and I felt sort of joyous at times watching this movie. So those are my first impressions. How about yourself? Yeah, I think um, I, I agree that the, the I think Netflix is spot on with the way that it's thinking about what is good about this movie. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's basically saying like, what, why should you watch this? And its uh-huh. argument is Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman are great performers and you should mm-hmm that is reason to watch. And I think that I largely agree. I think that without them, uh, without those characters, this movie would, it would feel, um, more like a movie of the week or something, right? Like Mm -hmm. it, it, it just has a very, I mean, you know, I mean this literally, you know, literally like a staged quality to it that makes it feel like, um, frequently I found myself feeling like this feels like a play specifically Mm -hmm. in the sense that it feels like actors are wait are taking turns saying things, Mm -hmm. right? You have a line that sounds written. Then I have a line that sounds written. They sort of give speeches back and forth in, in certain scenes. Right. Which is like a very unnatural way. Yeah. For people to talk. Yeah, not how conversations really go. And it's like, that, okay, you have five minutes, and then right. I have five minutes. And I'm not looking for like a mumblecore script either, right? I'm not looking for them to just say um and uh a bunch and stare at each other and be inarticulate. That's not what no, I'm it's just it's more either. like a play. It's more like a play, yeah. And so I think if it had only been that, and and you hadn't, and you didn't have some of the um, much sort of like more 
raw, uh, less sort of stagecrafty performances um, that Bozeman and Davis offer, I think I would have been bored, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. So, like the as a comparison, uh, and I'm this is I'm I'm romanticizing this a bit, but to reference a, a the the Christopher Nolan movie that has. Uh, the most frequent mentions on this podcast. Uh, there's a scene in The Prestige where... Um, greatest movie of all time. The greatest movie of all time. Where the magicians are, uh, and the and the people who are sort of designing the magic act are having a debate backstage about what not to use, where to stand, right? And I think mm-hmm. they're also having conversations more generally about the world. But like, I remember that conversation feeling extremely alive by mm-hmm. virtue of the way the actors are interacting with one another. And it feels like a real conversation they're having. And the yeah. camera is moving in such a way that it's like encircling them. And it feels very, um, sort of, uh, spontaneous and it doesn't feel like hyper planned. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wanted that sort of like the the idea of like uh if you if i'm i'm drawing a circle with my finger but like this idea of thesis antithesis and synthesis right this idea of um you know one character puts forward an idea the other character says i disagree right i think we should do something else and then through conversation they get to some place where they are figuring out a way to work together right yeah and i wanted and, and that sort of like the joy of creativity with other people that I was sort of like hoping for. And instead what I feel like I got was sort of like speech followed by another speech followed by a third speech. And, and it's sort of like, this will become exhausting. But then sometimes those speeches were given by Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman. (laughs) And it's like, okay, I could sort of just watch them do whatever. And that's still pretty compelling. Right. Yeah. Um, and so to me, like, I think that's, that's ultimately the primary reason for watching is just seeing them sort of bear their emotions in a way that I don't, that I think a lesser, a lesser performer would have just made it feel like now I'm going to say my lines now. Yeah. Yeah. I could see how. Definitely, if you were going in and one of the things you were most looking forward to was the emphasis on the music making process and different kind of competing philosophies or competing, you know, voices, musical voices, mm-hmm. how this movie could have been kind of a letdown. Because I think it's it's really not that much about music, um, in my opinion. I mm-hmm. think it's it's much more about like Levy has a musical style and Ma Rainey has a musical style, but the focus of the movie is much more on like kind of the incumbent, you know, Ma Rainey who already has all of the prestige and the reputation. And she's, she's a leader. She's kind of on top of the world and Levy's this young, unproven, talented, you know, talented, but not yet established, ambitious, you know, personality trying to sort of, Find, make his own place and it's almost like you could just remove music from the from the script or from the plot entirely and just replace it with something else you know 
right. something else where there is room for a person to be on top and a person to be the young, right. ambitious one. This is that's my really donut m- shop, not yeah. your donut shop. And right. kind of, and kind of like what I'm, what I'm entitled to, what my destiny is, you know, how I'm going to get it. Th- those are more what the movie is, is focused on, I think. Yeah. And yeah, there's music and they play music, but it's, it doesn't really spend a lot of time. Like, for example, there's um, there's some discussion of like Levy's version of a song. Yeah. And they sort of they sort of describe it like it's it's like more upbeat or more, you know, has a little bit more fire to it or something like that. But like they barely even I couldn't even having watched the movie, it really explain what the difference is between his version and her version. Right. 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 It's just like all you need to know is that it's his version versus her version. Right. Right. And some people like his and some people like her. It's like it, it's not really the focus. So anyway, I can sort of understand how that would be somewhat underwhelming if you were kind of looking for that. I think I have the you know, I sort of benefited from not really necessarily expecting there to be a huge focus on music um, or the music making process. Uh, so, yeah. I think, um, you know, it's interesting. I can't remember who first pointed this out to me, but um, movies, I think, well, what was first pointed out to me some some years ago was that the style of acting required for plays versus movies is very different. Yeah. I think it might have been Denzel Washington, like an interview with Denzel Washington talking about, I don't know, the Manchurian Candidate remake or some movie like that where I, that movie sticks stands out in my mind because I remember there being lots of really, really tight close-ups on their faces. Yeah, like and straight on straight on shots. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the idea that as a film actor, you can make like the slightest facial movements to convey an emotion or, you know. Right. Like th- subtlety is is really appropriate for film where where the camera can be right up in your face. Whereas in a play, the audience can't see a tiny facial movement, right? Like that's just not even visible to them. Right. And so there's sort of like a certain degree of exaggeration required for for being a, a, a play, like a, a, uh, a stage actor, right? A theater actor. And that that makes perfect sense, right? It doesn't mean that one is better than the other. It's just different styles, you know, the different media call for different styles. But I think uh, to carry that further, I think just in general, film, like films are more conducive to more realistic situations, right? Mm-hmm. Because in a it, for the same reason like because in real life people can see each other's faces so facial expressions matter and mm-hmm. so sometimes you wouldn't like say a thing your face would do all the talking right. right in real life whereas in a play you might have to like say things that you're feeling right right because otherwise the audience isn't going to pick I'm up on it i'm so upset with you right now B- but you know, also even even the like classic the cadence line from stage plays <laughs> right yeah i'm so upset with you right now classic um but even the thing you're saying about the cadence of the conversation, like in a play, maybe, maybe depending on the setting, like maybe that scene from the prestige you're talking about wouldn't work in a play because you're talking about like lots of really short lines back and forth between lots of different actors as they're performing all these actions. You know, maybe it would be really hard for an audience to even follow what the heck is going on. Whereas in a film, you can just use the camera to like force people to look at the right character, right? 
at right. any given moment. And you can and it's use like, this tools. is who's talking. Now this is who's talking. Now this yeah, is who's talking. Yeah, and you can talking. use subtle tools like like sound design and audio mixing yeah. to sort yeah. of like, hey, this character's line is important, and I'm going to yeah. bump it up in the mix so that you make so I make sure you hear it prominently over maybe somebody else who's talking at the same time or something right. like that. Like right. you have Whereas all in these play, tools in the toolkit. Right. Yep. Yep. So so anyway, I, I think I'm I think I'm just I'm just agreeing with you, but um but I think it it provides some of the explanation to me of why in a movie like this, you know, when one character speaks for two minutes uninterrupted and then another character speaks for a bit longer, like you're watching a film, so you're used to for this medium, you're used to more realistic interactions. And so it can be a little jarring where you're like, this is just a weird monologue, <laughs> you know, right. that feels, that doesn't feel quite right. But at the same time, you know, Hamilton came out of Disney Plus. Like sometimes, sometimes people make something that is essentially a play, but they make it as a movie and... I think the primary reason is to reach a bigger audience, right? Right. And that's it's not that's not a nothing wrong with that. That's completely understandable. So, but I think just you and I aren't real big. Well, maybe me more so than you, but I I would guess neither of us are super big fans of like the 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 format of the like theater. a play. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. To be honest, I'm just. Nobody would accuse us of being, you know. <laughs> Uh, theater uh, enthusiasts. So. No, no. So this is a movie, I think this is a movie which might be good to hear if someone's listening and is a theater enthusiast. You know, this is one of those ones. This is one of those films that's like probably a great film to watch if you're if you're a big fan of the theater. Um, although, who? what do I know? Maybe theater fans I think, hate movies like this. Well, I feel like most theater fans, uh, especially, you know, like when actors talk about acting in theatrical performances... They talk about how because it's a live art form, right? Right. Like every performance is different a little bit and you're feeding off of the audience in certain ways and you're bringing your experiences from that day into your performance, right? You're just naming all the things I don't like. (laughs) Not that I don't like, but that, 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 that like don't do much for me. Right, a, right, right. As Those, an audience the, member, I'm the same way. Those things are unimportant to me. I'm like, personally. I want to see, I want to see the David Fincher, you know, <laughs> meticulously <laughs> right. composed, like scene that probably took like 80 takes to get exactly the way he wanted. You know, right? No, I'm the same way. Like, I want, I want purpose and intentionality behind the choices, and I want there to be one. Yeah. No it, room for spontaneity. None of that. The, <laughs> I want the canonical version of the thing, not yeah. like. Uh, and I totally get it. It's like well, ex- exactly the complaint that I'm th- the thing that I'm saying I want out of movies like uh, is exactly the argument that no one would make, for example, about like live music. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like you go to see them do it in sort of this ephemeral, right. you know, way that, you know, that you can't like gra- you have to only walk away with that memory. Yeah. You can't revisit it. Right. Um the smell of the room, like the, you know, the stickiness of the floor, right? Like whatever, like you're experiencing, that's all part of the show, right? Um, <laughs> Gotta have those sticky floors. Yeah, you can tell what kind of shows I go to. Um, <laughs> lots of sticky floors. Uh, <laughs> but um, 
but yes, I agree. Like I watch, but my expectation when I watch movies is largely to sort of expect, give me the, yeah, yeah. give me the fully intentioned version of this thing. Well, you know, I think the premise of this podcast is kind of perfect for us because somehow we gravitated towards this notion of an astronaut in space in like the most sterile possible environment, right? Mm-hmm. Which is no how other, the Lord intended for right, movies just, to be watched. Just like no interruptions. In the vacuum yeah. of space. Right. Right. That, that's how you should watch a movie. With no other living creature within millions of miles. Of I will you. be honest. Like, I am the guy who, when anybody ever asks me to pause a movie, or, oh, frankly, yeah. or frankly talks to me at all during <laughs> a movie, uh-huh. I'm sort of like, No. You're right. doing it wrong, right? Yeah. Like, um, so I, as you might imagine, I watch a lot of things alone. <laughs> well, it's funny because I even, I mean, I relate and I even sometimes get a little annoyed if we're watching a movie with our kids. Yeah. And it's like a kid's movie. So like, it's not even for me. Why? I don't even want to watch it necessarily. Right. But if like, if we have to stop a lot of times because, you know, Violet, our daughter, will be like, wait, why did he say that? Or right. who is that? Or whatever. And I'm just like, oh, stop asking questions. Right. Just well, let me enjoy this children's movie that's for five-year-olds. Right. Yeah, I, I do the same thing. It's like so ridiculous where um, my kiddo will want to, say, rewind a part that she particularly uh-huh. likes. Right. And I'm like. You're violating the intention of the film. Toy yeah, Story yeah. Two was not meant to be this watched is not what like the this. filmmaker intended. Yeah. Right? Ridiculous. Um, yeah. So okay. Anyway, we've talked. I think I think it's clear where we both stand as far as expectations and and first impressions. Yeah. Um. Let's get into themes. I think. Well, why don't you go first? What do you think are some of the name one or two themes that stand out for you for this movie? Uh, exploitation, right? Ah, okay. Yep. Um, just this idea of, especially like, I think one of the central, te- I think you're right that what I was expecting was a tent was a creative tension, which is there. But I think the more important tension that exists is sort of a business philosophy mm-hmm. tension, right? With, which is, um, playing out subtextually where Ma Rainey, is fully aware of the fact that she is a necessary evil for these white businessmen to mm-hmm. make a living, re- you know, recording and selling her music, right? Or putting it on the radio, right? And she understands that that is the only piece of power that she has, the only piece of leverage she has. The moment they capture her voice on acetate, right? She's no longer useful to them, right? Mm-hmm. And holds no leverage. And uh, that is that sort of governs all of her choices, right? She's like, I have to get everything I want before, you know, before we do I this sign. recording, right? Before yeah. I, and before I sign away the rights to this thing, because once I do, there's nothing left for me to get. Mm-hmm. And Levy views, uh, you know, the these recording engineers and this business and this uh, business manager as potential future partners, right? 
He's like, hey, yeah. we're going to have a lot of success together. Um, I've got all the talent that's needed to be successful, and I'm easier to work with than she is. So, you know, hook me up, right? Give me a yeah. shot. And uh, she understands exploitation in a way that he is as jaded as he is. He's still naive. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and to me, that's when, that's the thing that as, as the movie unfolds, I was, I realized the movie was more about that than about sort of them talking about the Ma Rainey version of this, of, of yeah. black bottom versus the levy version of black bottom. It's like, that is an incidental detail. Right. Um, yeah. Well, but speaking of the difference between those things, I think one of the best examples to me, you said she she knows to to basically, you know, use the leverage that she has to the maximum possible extent. And I think a great example of that is one of the differences between their two versions is her version starts off with this spoken mm-hmm. intro, right? Yeah. And she has promised to her, I think it's nephew. Is that right? Yeah, she promised to her sister that the sister's daughter, i.e. Ma Rainey's nephew, would the be able to... The per- son. Or excuse me, yeah, the sister's son, excuse me. Yeah. Be able to perform on the track, yeah. Yeah, so she promised her nephew that... that her She promised her sister that her nephew could do the intro, but her nephew has a stutter. And so um, I think a great... One of the great examples in the movie of Ma Rainey, like, fully flexing her power in the situation is basically insisting that they're going to let this boy do as many tries as it takes, right? With his stutter to get it right. And she's like, I don't care how many tries it takes, you know, the the producers are like, this is expensive. She's like, doesn't matter to me. (laughs) You know, I'll go somewhere else if you have a problem with it. And, you know, there's some other examples, but I think that's probably one of the biggest ones yeah. of, of just her saying, you know, I am, cl- I am the authority right now. Right. So it's completely up to me what happens. And I'm deciding that this thing that's very inconvenient to everyone else is mm-hmm. what's going to happen. Right? Yeah. Well, and she, I think the thing is she clearly understands like, why do this at all? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, cause she doesn't have to, right. She could go and perform live Right. And make a living that way. And, Mm -hmm. and the fact that she's like, the reason for me to do this is to create like wealth for my family. Right. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways I'm going to do that is getting my nephew on this recording. So he's going to get a royalty every time this thing gets played. And that's going to take care of him and his mother. Like long after I'm gone. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, if I don't do this, I will have like, that is, that is my reason for doing this. Right. Yeah. So when anybody's like, and so when the record guys are like, you know, look at all this beautiful acetate that we're having to throw in the garbage. He's like, I don't care about that at all. Yeah. Right. Like that is not my that reason. Nothing for doing to do this with me is yeah. not to preserve your resources. Right. My reason for doing this is to like equip my family to like have a source of income indefinitely. Right. Yeah. Um, and so when you think about it through that lens and they're like, oh, it's really inconvenient for us. She's like, that has no bearing on my feelings yep, at all. Yeah. Right. She's very confident. Yeah. She's very, um, and she, she understands like just 
until that she will not be exploited until she decides she's ready to be exploited. Right. Yep. Um, it's interesting. I think, I think you're, you're dead on. I mean, I totally agree with what you're saying, but what's interesting is that for me, the main theme that I came away with and that I was kind of talking about earlier wasn't so much exploitation. I, I, I think, I think, um, that is sort of evident in the dynamic between her and Levy and the white producers, right? Right. Who, or I guess it's her manager and then the producer. That's right. Record. That's right. Um, you know, the, the white men <laughs> in the, in the story. Yeah. Um, I was more focused, the sort of thing that stood out more to me, which I think is in addition to that is more the dynamic between her and Levy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to be clear, like there's actually not that many interactions between the two of those characters specifically, but, um, it's much more by proxy, like her, you know, the rest of the band is very clearly loyal to Ma Rainey. They're mm-hmm. sort of like, it doesn't matter what, you know, what the producer says. It doesn't matter what the manager says. What matters is what Ma says. And we follow her lead. Yep. And Levy is the one kind of black sheep who's like, I don't care about Ma, you know, I'm going to start my own band. Right. Um, to me, I think, I think Levy is very, very much a tragic character. Right. And I mm-hmm. think, I think what it is, is the, the most interesting question that the, that the, that the movie caused me to wonder about is what happens when you take a person with a huge amount of talent and a huge amount of ambition, but you put them in a, a just like disastrously underprivileged situation. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what Levy is to me. It's like if this guy were white, he would be hugely successful. Right. In this world, because yes. he's got a huge amount of talent. He's got a huge amount of ambition. Right. He he feels destined for greatness. But now put him in the body of a black man in 1927, United, you know, Chicago. Mm-hmm. Like how far does that talent and ambition get you? And I think, um, I think it's kind of a, it's, it's, it sort of evokes for me like a, like a caged animal, you know, like an animal who's like meant to be like a majestic, you know, whatever, but like is, is, is stuck in a cage. And that's sort of levy to me where he knows he's meant for greater things, but he's kind of in the situation where, you know, there's not that much room for, incredibly successful black musicians. And so Ma is kind of directly in his way, you know? Right. Cause she's, she's the, she's the alpha. Right. Yeah. And it's like, there's not enough room for both of us. And sadly, in, 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 in the case of Levy, at least within this plot of this movie, things are, you know, not going to go so great, but um, but again, you know, if it weren't, if it weren't for the scarcity of opportunity available to people with his skin color at this point in time in history, then surely he could have, you know, I think the move from, from my perspective, the movie has the position like, surely he has what it takes. It's just the odds are stacked against him. 
Yeah, I'm sort of reminded, uh, I bet you you're more familiar with this than I am, but this concept of Franz Kafka as like a triple alien. Have you heard this before? It's this idea that he was like um, a gay man in a heterosexual world. Mm -hmm. He was um, a Jew in a Christian world. And he was a Austrian in a German world. Right. And it was, and it was like, he was just couldn't possibly be any more different from everybody around him. Right. Right. And it was sort of like, he couldn't find, there was no tribe, right? Mm -hmm. Like he couldn't find any group of like-minded people. And so like, so his sort of deep sense of isolation, right. Was not like a a personality quirk. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just sort Mm -hmm. of like, Th- that was the, those were the conditions, uh, 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 you know, that were sort of yeah. foisted upon him. Right. Um, and I sort of feel that way about Levy to a degree, not that he's like alienated necessarily, but he's sort of like triple disadvantaged. Right. He's like poor and or, and orphaned right in mm-hmm. a world that's not kind to that, to those circumstances. He's trapped in this band, right. Where he feels like he's capable of more. And then at the end, and even when he tra- and even when he beats the first obstacle, arguably, and he's on a path to beating the second obstacle, he runs into the barrier of his race, right? Yeah. And like quite literally, the music that he creates is like deemed he he's basically lied to directly and told that that music isn't good enough, and then mm-hmm. that music is directly given to a bunch of, you know. Uh, soulless, like white bread flunkies and they're going to turn it into a hit. Yeah. Right. And it's just sort of, I think it's exactly the point you're making, which is like, he is uh, just wildly disadvantaged. And the fact that he, through the movie, especially in the last act of the film is sort of, um, he's come so far and is still crushed by the machine that produces popular music. It's just so dispiriting to him. And I think to us, yeah. the viewer, right? Like I think we are, we feel for him um, that I, that I agree that that's, that's one of the other, and to me, that's sort of why exploitation was a theme that like I kept coming back to mentally was because uh he levy the entire film asserts that he can't he knows how to play the game he's like i can mm-hmm. smile at the right people at the right time you know play you know the deferential polite you know uh musician uh because in the long run i'm going to get what i want by behaving that way yeah. and what and what he's what he learns by the end and this might not be like uniformly true but it's just true in his case like that was just a like a slow play way to not get the thing that you want Mm -hmm. right meanwhile ma rainey understands she's like i just have to play hardball and be totally difficult because that's the only way i'm going to get what i want and turns out in in the world of this movie she's the one who's right right although this movie doesn't really depict at all how ma rainey got to where she is that's right that's right yep so years I of hard that, work. 
right? Yeah, they're they're in very different positions. You know, she's already on top at the start of this movie, so she knows how to be on top. And who's to say that he wouldn't also know how to be on top if he found himself there? <laughs> right. But how to get there is is you know. I mean, I guess it's interesting to me that the movie doesn't depict how she got there at all because it leaves open the possibility that it was just pure luck, you know? Well, I mean, the opening scene in the film is, like, people going to, like, a tent performance. Yeah, yeah. Right? Of her performing, like, in the woods, right? Yeah, sorry. When I when I say pure luck, I don't mean that she didn't, didn't have talent. I think the movie clearly... I think they're both meant to be talented and genuinely, like deserving of recognition for their talents, Mm -hmm. but luck in the sense that it is arguably bad luck for Levy that he has chosen to kind of trust this white producer who has no intention of doing right by him. right? Right. But like you can imagine in this era, there were some, you know, kind of good apples in the mix, like there were some white producers who probably actually earnestly, like genuinely wanted to help black artists. Right. Right. And maybe Ma Rainey got, had the good fortune of working with one of them and Levy didn't, you know, like that's what I mean by luck. Not like that. She didn't have genuine talent, but anyway, the movie doesn't really explore that how she got to where she is. So, um, so we identified two themes, I think one being exploitation, the other being kind of the contrast between ambition and opportunity, yeah. I guess to put yeah. it very simply. Um, any others you want to discuss before we move on? Uh, no, those are, those are the primary ones. I'm like staring at the cast list and I'm trying to think to myself, like, what do I, what do I think about the, we haven't mentioned the band members at all. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, which I quite liked, right? I, yeah, I, me too. Um, I, I liked their performances. I liked the different sort of ideologies that they seemed to represent. Um, and I, I and I think the fact that I'm struggling to are to think through like what what message am I meant to take away from these band members is in some ways I think representative of the the struggle I was talking about at the beginning where I like, I wanted this movie to be more about like creative disagreement. Right. For some mm-hmm. reason. Uh, and so I was like, what does Wasn't so much about that? Yeah. What does Toledo represent in musical performance versus what does slow drag represent? It's like, no, that those are irrelevant questions. Don't even, <laughs> don't even try to answer them. Yeah. Well, they had, I mean, I guess the main dynamics between the band members were one, what we already mentioned, sort of loyalty to Ma versus Levy's sort of more independent bent. Then there was religion, you know, there was sort of him getting into arguments with, I think it was Cutler about God, you know, like whether God is good basically. And then I think with Toledo, it was a lot about, I, I can't quite, I don't know exactly how to articulate the dynamic they had. I think it was kind of be t- behind like the idea of the old wise man versus the young know-it-all, basically. Mm-hmm. 
Because Levy's basically accusing him of being a fool for most of it. Right. But meanwhile, Toledo's like, you're a fool. <laughs> you know, right. I've, I've been around. I know right. what I'm talking about. Yeah. But I don't, I, it's, that's kind of surface level. It's just, it's almost more just like you got the old guy and you got the young guy. So yeah. Yep. what's their dynamic going to be? Um, okay, well, let's get on to best parts of the movie then. I would say this is where we get into spoilers, but uh, I mean, well, yeah, this is when we're getting into spoilers. We've spoiled a little bit, but we haven't spoiled everything. There's, yeah, there's right? some big events that we've not talked about. Yeah. Uh, so I would say one of my favorite parts in the film was the bit where they're actually, and, and I think this is probably because it jives most with what I wanted the movie to be in the first place. Um, the part where they're actually recording Ma Rainey's Black Bottom mm-hmm. and her nephew is struggling to say his lines, right? Yeah. Um, and they just have to do take after take after take. And I can't remember exactly how this unfolds, but, you know, she needs a Coca-Cola. And it's just like this mm-hmm. long process just to get a song recorded, right? Um, yeah. And You get I, the impression that, like, if the session was supposed to start at, like, 10 a.m. It actually started at like 3 p.m. <laughs> right, right, totally. <laughs> Which is like, uh, you know, I, I spent some time working at a recording studio, and that's like very typical. <laughs> you uh-huh. know, it's like it's like so and so is late, especially the bigger the artist. It's like so and so is late, and when they get there, it's like they immediately need They're food, still not ready, or they right. need a drink, right? Uh, or they need, you know, we gotta we gotta move a bunch of stuff around to like get it the way they like it, you know. And it's just sort of like this funny thing. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. they got here at 10 p.m. You know, it was like off. I worked the graveyard shift, right? So it's like they would get in at 10 p.m. and then it's like, all right, it's two in the morning. They're ready to begin. You know, it's right, like that right. kind of thing. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, that that struck me as like very. So that real. rang true for you, yeah. yeah. That was a good scene. Um, One thing that I I found a little strange about that scene, this is just a very minor thing, but um, like the way it was edited, you know, it was sort of like, sort of like throw, throw a record in the bin, Mm -hmm. you know, another take quick cut, throw another record in the bin cut to like characters looking exasperated characters looking tired, throw another one in the bin. What was weird is like when they finally got it, I think it was like the seventh take or something. And yeah. I was like, that's strange. It was sort of edited in a way that made it seem like take like 37, 45. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like 45 minutes had passed. They were on like take like 30, but it was just like, it's only seven. I mean, I don't think you needed that many cuts. <laughs> Right, right. It would have taken almost as much time like in real life. (laughs) Right, right. Right. That was just a funny thing about that scene to me. But anyway, uh, no, I I also really enjoyed that scene. Um, I would say in general, I was not a huge fan of the kind of, you know, like speechifying scenes where it's just like a character just talks for a while about a memory they had or whatever. Yeah. Um, However, I was quite moved by, and this is probably the biggest spoiler of the conversation so far, like when Levy does like flip out about, I I think it was Toledo stepping on his shoe. 
and it's kind of escalating. And just given all of the, you know, it's, it's immediately after he realizes that, you know, he's been, he's been taken for a ride by right. the, by the white producer. Who's like, yeah, I'll give you five bucks a pop for each of your songs, which you thought, you know, you totally thought we were going to like have a record. We were going to make a record. You were going to make a lot of money off these songs. Right. Now you're realizing that that was just wishful thinking on your part. Yep. So he's, so he's, he's feeling, you know, extremely volatile and, and ups and frustrated and, and volatile. And when he's getting upset at Toledo for stepping on his shoe, I was like, Ooh, something bad, like nothing good is going to come of this. You know, he's going to take it out on Toledo somehow. Yeah. And sure enough, when he does, I got kind of emotional. I was like, I was pretty upset about it. Yeah. And, and I think even he, you know, even Levy in like moments after he stabs Toledo, like he takes out a knife and stabs him. But within moments, he's like, you know, he realizes what he's done and he obviously feels remorse. Right. Um, but it's just, it's just like, I don't know. I think, I think it got me a kind of emotional because it just, in that small way, you know, there's that, um, that quote, uh, from Roger Ebert about movies being empathy machines, like mm-hmm. helping you to understand what it's like to be a person in different circumstances. Yeah. I think it kind of like help, helped me to appreciate how much anger you would feel being in such an unfair situation as Levy. Right. And how it's like, that's not good. You know, like when people get that angry, they do things like that. Right. right. And it's like, he didn't want to kill Toledo. He just right. had so much anger and like it had to come out somehow. Yeah. He just directed it at the closest target. Right. Somebody right. stepped on his shoe and that was a small injustice that in the moment he felt like he could do something, you know, right. to sort of exact revenge. And then he did and it was completely disproportionate. Right. But, and he realized that almost instantly, but it's like, this this in some ways is because you know because he's black like because he was born black in america in 1927 with the amount of talent he had with the amount of ambition he had and there's just you know so few avenues for that for him for him to pursue with that Right. And and he feels boxed in and he feels taken advantage of and he feels, you know, powerless. And and so here we go. So that scene to me was was very, um, like I said, moving, I guess, powerful, whatever, whatever the right word is. I thought it was a highlight of the movie for sure. Emotionally. Yeah. I, I think the the point that you made, like the disproportionate nature of the attack he makes on Toledo at the end is is sort of shocking, right? Because it's sort of like... But very intentional, right? Totally, right. It's like it's got to be over something trivial, like somebody steps on his shoe. Right, and I think the movie did a good job of setting up just like his yeah. shoes, right? Um, and I think the fact that it is so outsized relative to the crime mm-hmm. uh, helps helps to drive home how despairing levy is about yeah. 
you know, like I, I think, and I think that, and I think the tragedy in part of that character and of the film is like, he begins the film completely optimistic, yeah. right. And brash and, and proud and like ready to take on the world with his talent. And he's like, I've come this far. I'm going to go the rest of the way. Right. Yeah. And within the confines of a single day, he has basically been totally, you know, any illusions that he was carrying, like, have been completely shattered. And now he's like, he's sort of in this hopeless state. Yeah. Right. And when you take that away from somebody, it's, you know, to your point, it's going to come out in unpredictable, ugly ways. Yeah. Very sad. Well, what else? Any other highlights? Any other things you want to call out before we get on to the next segment, which is fix the movie? Uh, no, no other, n- no other sequences. I don't think uh, I, I did. Well, I mean, I guess the only other thing I'll call out is I really did enjoy like the opening bit where Ma Rainey was sort of um, defined by her absence for the first, you know, 20 minutes or so of the film. Right. I mean, yes, she does show up in those initial performances, but when the musicians show up at the recording studio, yeah, it's like, where's Ma Irvin, the manager is continually like, where's Ma? And the musicians are like, just putting, you know, unpacking their gear and starting to tell. And I just like being around musicians. Right. And yeah. so it sort of that was just sort of a, a a fun thing for me to sort of just see musicians getting their stuff together and you know riffing a little bit and getting ready to practice and um so I I just I that again it's sort of like that was most tightly aligned with sort of what I was aiming for the movie to be and so that's every, every that time like. the movie sort of flirted with what your expectations were was that, a highlight for you yeah my my ears perk up that's right yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed that beginning also for me because I felt like a little um it sort of it threw me off balance I feel a little those opening in a, in a, in a good way with like um Levy and Cutler and Toledo cuz they had a lot of back and forth and I felt like I couldn't, it it took me a while to kind of understand the dynamic between them. It was like, they'd be joking one minute and then getting mad at each other the next minute and then like laughing again. And I was, it it was sort of like fun to kind of figure out and follow and be like, I don't understand, (laughs) you know, are they friends? Are they enemies? Are they frenemies? You know? Yeah. Um, I thought, but I thought it was, it all felt very like there was a real tension established very quickly, but the sort of, severity of the tension was something that the movie I felt like was kind of almost teasing you with, you know, like, is this a big deal or is it something they can just laugh about? Are they mostly friends or do, are there like serious divisions between them? You know? Um, so yeah, I liked that too, but let's get to fix the movie. What would you do? What would you do to fix this movie, Adam? This sounds awful. Oh, I just okay. Uh, What's it gonna be? Di- direct it better. <laughs> like oh, okay. Um, How so? It it just it, it it to me it it feels very uh, dead, right? Mm. It's sort of like uh, 
and maybe this is also like a limitation of the budget or the or the set design or whatever, but it just felt very sort of um claustrophobic and like the rooms didn't feel like real rooms. They felt like sets, right? Hmm. Um and and so in that regard, that that kind of took me out of the the joy the joy of the movie. It sort of was like this just feels very sort of like static and, you know, not a very well, hmm. it's not like a great looking movie. It lo- it doesn't look like a typical Hollywood film does. Uh, and so at any rate, like just the film making, usually when we do fix the movie, we talk about like plot mechanics or like, you know, thematic things that didn't pay off or, or it, it's mm-hmm. usually like in the writing that we're critiquing. Right. Um, but in this particular case, like the, just the making felt like Mm -hmm. it's maybe a degree or two removed from the level of, uh, you know, excellence that I, I might typically, you know, expect of a movie of like a cast of this caliber, for example. Um, Mm -hmm. but that's me being, you know, like nitpicking the craftsmanship, which, um, you know, Let's be clear. I, I probably don't know what I'm talking about, but but that was the that's my that's my initial thought. What about you? Um, yeah i i don't I don't quite know what you're talking about. I mean, I guess i I understand the words you're saying. I didn't have the same. I didn't have the same feeling, which is probably why. It's probably like if I did have the feeling, I would know exactly what you mean, mm-hmm. but. But for me watching the movie, like I didn't think like, oh, this movie feels very static or this movie feels like poorly shot or the sets don't feel like real. Um, I just didn't have those thoughts. So what you're saying. So I, I guess what I mean is if I were the the director, mm-hmm. I feel like I would not be sure what to do with your feedback. Yeah. Because it's sort of like you're saying I did a bad job, but like what should I have done differently exactly? Just like other than just like better. <laughs> right, right, right. So yeah, let me give some actionable feedback then. Uh, I, I know it's a play. I know it all is supposed mm-hmm. to take place basically in these two rooms, right? Uh, I would find a way for it to take place in more locations, mm, right? Okay. Um, I would, uh, I would expressly, shoot it in such a way that um where different parts of the film would have different looks to them so it's like to reflect the uh, character's emotional state like so as an example i feel like the opening bit where the band members are setting up their stuff looks extremely similar to the ending bit where levy like loses his mind and right. like and it's sort of like make that look different make it look different right um make the recording studio bigger right give Mm -hmm. make there be more spaces for people to be in right um so like i don't know it's stuff like this that like make it more like a movie and less like a play right sure which i recognize is like me being just high maintenance uh but no i mean no that's helpful that's helpful that that is very concrete um Let's see, for me, fixing the movie, I mean, 
you know, we are kind of already addressed it. I, I think the dialogue, the sort of this, the script, it being very play-like, you know, and, and it's sort of, it's sort of, as we were discussing, you know, I think there's probably people for whom the style is right up their alley. But for me, you know, for like Levy, for example, to tell this story of his, you know, what happened with his mom, it's, it's, it's unnatural that he just dives into this story and then is like, I'm telling a story now, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> everybody listen to my story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't feel like real life. And, you know, I think for me, it's just the kind of thing that is more impactful if it feels more realistic. Like if the details of the story come out more the organically film, and gradually yeah. in just, in just more organic conversations, you know, between him and other people, right. Rather than everybody stop talking. I'm going to now talk for five minutes and right. tell you this narrative of what happened with my mom. Right. Right. Just because it, yeah, it doesn't really feel real. So, um, that's kind of, pro- that's probably my main, my main gripe with the movie. If you can call it a gripe, not so much a gripe, but what, what I think I would have responded to more is if some of the central ideas, which I think are very, you know, um, the, the, these are the backstory of Levy and why he has the, you know, why he's taking the approach that he's taking and why the, the, what happens in the movie affects him the way it does. It's all very, you know, um, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a lot of richness to that. Right. But I think, presented in the way it's presented, which is basically like, you know, you would present it in a play, uh, didn't, didn't, it's almost like it didn't affect me as much as it should have, you know, like a story like that should affect you quite a bit. And I think because he was like giving a speech, it was sort of reminiscent to me of, you know, just watching like actors on stage, give a speech where you're like, I'm very aware of you being an actor and memorizing the words of this speech. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Right. It's like, that's what it, it feels like. You spend a lot of time memorizing the exact words and now you're delivering them as opposed to like, I'm seeing a person, a human being talking about something that really happened in their life. Yeah. I, and I feel like I, I don't quite know what to make of this. Cause I feel like that was a, a choice that, all the performers made or were asked to make, which is like, do your performance like, like you're on a stage, right? Yeah. Where you're, you're the way you're going to act is big and like well enunciated and like, you know, loud. Right. Um, I'm, I'm looking at the actor who plays Toledo, Glenn Turman, he also was in uh, a show in 2020, uh, the fourth season of Fargo. He plays a character in that. Mm. And so uh, I just happened to, you know, to have seen those two things in 2020. And it's sort of like the performances are very different, right? He's perfectly mm-hmm. capable of giving like a much more like subtle, nuanced filmic performance, which I thought he was quite good in that TV show. And then to see him like be this sort of extremely caricature-esque Toledo in this film it's like okay that was like a somewhere between the actor and the director that was a choice that got made for how like these actors are going to 
play this. And I think the effect it had on me was similar to what you're describing. And I think I was talking about this earlier, which is like, it just had this feeling of like, I say my lines and then you say your lines. Right. And so just, um, I, I agree. I I mean, I I think it's a stylistic thing, right? Right. Like this is going to be a random movie to bring into the conversation right now. Well, not a, not a movie, actually a filmmaker, but I've, we've talked before about how I just, for a long time, I had this disdain for Baz Luhrmann and, right. and movies like Moulin Rouge, which I don't think I even saw front to back, but also Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. There's something about just like his sensibilities that I was like, I hate this, you know? <laughs> but like at the same time, I'm like, oh, but some people love it, right. you know? And that's fine. You know, it's like I there's nothing objective about me hating this. Like I yeah, can't yeah, yeah. I can't justify there's it. There's no accounting for taste, right? It's like hating, you know, asparagus. It's like right. it's just completely about me and what right. I like and don't like. And so yeah. I think what you're talking about, I'm like, yeah, I agree it's deliberate. And I think there's some people for whom that's exactly what they want. Right. You know, that's what they like. And I think the filmmaker was making a movie for people who like that kind of thing. And you and I are people who are sort of like, not. (laughs) Yeah. How about you act like you're in a movie, not like you're in a play? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because I didn't go to see a play. Right. Watching a movie. Yes. I'm very aware of the extremely subjective, like nature of my criticism here. But it's sort of like, but that's what I want. So. But yeah, you would have performed more like. More nuanced, subtle, kind of natural performances, less right. like stage performances. Yeah, because yeah. I know the because I especially because I know the actors are capable of it, right? I I wonder do you, I wonder if you would agree with me? I feel like one exception to that might be Viola Davis with Ma Rainey. What do you think? I actually, you I know, felt like that was more of a movie performance. Uh, yes, I agree. Um. I, I mean, for one thing, she doesn't have any like long speeches. Right? right. Actually, that's not true. She has maybe one or two like medium she, length speeches. She does, yeah. But I I generally felt like her perform despite being this outsized character, I just generally felt like her performance was just subtler than a lot yeah. of the other performances. Well, I think there's a lot more almost because of her powerful position in the movie, there's a lot more sort of like slouch, like slouching, sitting back, talking mm-hmm. more sort of in a breathy way, right. you know, like not being very exaggerated, being, being the opposite, being sort of subdued because, because she's in a position where it's like, I don't have to exert myself very much. What I say goes, right. You know, right. I need a Coke. Right. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, I think given just her her character's position within the cast, she maybe had she was in the best position, I guess, put it that way, to give more of like what is what you associate with like cinematic acting, yeah. film acting. I, I I think I agree. There definitely are moments where she has to go quite big, but mm-hmm. but I do feel like yes, especially like some of the quieter moments where like, she's just having a one-on-one conversation with Cutler, for example. Mm-hmm. It's like, there are definitely moments where it's like, okay, yeah, th- this feels like two real people having a real conversation as opposed to I'm waiting for an opportunity to say my lines. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Okay, one more thing. I don't I don't really have much to say about this, but I wonder if maybe it's worth bringing up. What was the name of the the main dancer that was with them in the studio? Dussie May. Is that Dussie? Um I think I think that character, I'm sort of a little confused about. Well, actually I'm not that confused. I know what role that character plays, but it feels more like maybe they should have done either less or more with her than they Uh did. Yeah. Um, Like she is, they establish her as like, okay, so Ma Rainey has a bit of a thing with her. You know, they have like a physical relationship of some kind. Yeah. Right. Uh, I should, I say of some, I mean, it's pretty euphemistic. They have a physical (laughs) relationship, right? Yeah. But then also she has a thing with Levy. And they, and you know, they're fooling around and it's like, okay, that establishes a bit of a, you know, like source of jealousy between love triangle. Right. Yeah. But it's not, it's not really, you know, it does, it's not very like critical to the characters or to the plot or like you could remove her. It could just not everything would uh, Yeah. Yeah. And everything would still basically work just the way it did. And so I'm sort of like, maybe it adds a dimension, but it just sort of feels like, I don't know. I I think I almost, I almost feel a little bad for that actress where, you know, sometimes I picture, picture actors in a movie who are like talking to the director and like, why is my character in this story? (laughs) Right. Right. Um, And I kind of picture her doing that being like, is this character necessary? Like what role do I play really? You know, She's, I mean, she's a useful proxy for the competition that they are having, right? Right. But um, it feels a little redundant to me. But to your point, it's like they're also directly having the competition too. It's not, you know what I mean? Yeah. She's if if it's like they couldn't have the competition out and out in front of one another, and so they needed to like engage in some kind of proxy war. Right. Yeah. That would have been more interesting. But it's like they're doing the thing in addition to fighting over the same woman. And Ma Rainey doesn't even realize that they're like in a fight for the same woman. Right. And so it just doesn't. Well, she never she never explicitly realizes it in the movie. I sort of, you know, I sort of inferred like maybe she knows, you know, right. It's not not totally clear to me. Yeah, but I yeah. get, but I think the fact that we're struggling to even sort of make it more meaningful or make it jive with the other story, it just I think illustrates your point, which is like I don't, it doesn't totally make sense for this subplot to be in the film. Yeah. It's not adding yeah. a lot. Yeah. Anyway, so that's my last. That's my last thought in the fix the movie section. Is just maybe they could have gotten rid of that character or you know or maybe they could have done more with that love triangle aspect like that could have played a bigger role yeah it felt like a sort of breaking the rule of Chekhov's gun right it's like they put the gun in the drawer in the first act and then they like just left it in the drawer right right yeah for the amount of screen time she gets or like camera like close up on her face throughout the movie it's sort of like you'd be forgiven for thinking oh this character is going to play a big role you know it's like not really. <laughs> right. She's just she's just in it. <laughs> yeah. Um in that okay. regard in that regard, I mean, I know that 
Ma Rainey was a real person, but a lot of the other characters in the film are inventions. You want, I believe, I'm guessing Maybe that, Dusty May was real. Well, yeah, or, you know, there was someone like her in real yeah. life. Um, and I could see that being a, like a weird vestigial tale, right? Of like, yeah, yeah, we wrote the screenplay to reflect this real person. Oh, interesting fact. She was like, you know, gay in a time where it was very, you know, difficult to, mm-hmm. to be that, especially in such a public way. And, you know, that's fascinating about her. And it's like, that might be fascinating about her, mm-hmm. right? In real life. But it, but it's one of those things where it's like, as you shaped what the movie needed to be, it's almost like nobody anymore, questioned, yeah. like, does yeah. this character need to be here? Does this matter at all to anything yeah. in the story? Um, turns out it doesn't, but it, I think it just was one of those probably things that just made it got from, preserved from initial version of the script to last version. And, and nobody took that last step to realize like this, this doesn't matter. Yeah. You could definitely be right. I, I, it's funny if, if you are right, um, it would remind me of, um, in the movie Ford V Ferrari, mm-hmm. which I actually just rewatched, uh, about a week ago. Because it was the seventh best movie of last year. <laughs> That's a good movie. Or um, 2019, I suppose. The, yeah. the, you know, when when they start the race, Le Mans, mm-hmm. and his door won't close. Yeah, yeah. And like, and like, has not, like, no bearing on the plot, right? But it's just like, oh, that actually happened. That's right. why they included it in the movie, yeah. right? I remember, I remember when, when that happened, I was, uh, I was I was just like thinking about how sort of pointless of a detail that was. Yeah. Kind of creates a lot of anxiety in the moment for no, you know, payoff. Right. But. It, yeah, it that yeah, it's one of those that's one of those things where it's like it's just fun and interesting and stressful right. in the ways it, that movies can be. Just to be like, can you believe that really happened? Right. right. And it made me ner- it did make me nervous for the rest of that ra- sorry, we're talking about Ford versus Ferrari all <laughs> Talking about a different movie, yeah. Um it was just like that. The the yeah, it's like just I a said, detail, if you're right, right about that particular character. Um, okay, so I think we're done. I think it's time to just decide if we're going to beam it up. No, so <laughs> harsh. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, it's not. It's not at that level for me. Um, I think that's been abundantly clear from our conversation. It sounds like a movie we both have no ill will towards. Nope. Yeah. Um, there, there are some things to recommend it for sure. And I, and I think just by virtue of the fact that it's Chadwick Boseman's last performance, I think yeah, that worth alone checking out. probably makes it worth checking out. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, which we didn't talk about at all, but, uh, you know, but obviously it's, you know, I think that air of, um, sadness lingered over the film for me. Right. Cause he's a yeah. performer that I've enjoyed in a number of things. Um, so just, you know, quite, quite sad to, to realize afterward that this is a, a performance by a person who is ill and, um, you know, probably understands that he doesn't have, you know, as many years or months or weeks left in his life as he would like. Um, and as all of his cast members probably assumed he had. Right. right. Yeah. Like it was, he total, was very secretive. So and, I think in that regard, it makes it that much more poignant as a, a performance. And so I think that is what is probably, um, mo- like that and Viola Davis's performance again, as I called out in the beginning are probably the things that the movie has most to recommend for it. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't, 
but it's not quite not it's not gonna tier. yeah it's not gonna be at the it's not quite the type of movie that i would be inclined to uh, hit the upload button and beam into space nope me neither um but i did like it so Mm -hmm. take it for for take that for what it's worth yep all right well sorry astronaut no ma rainey's black bottom for you but Watch Everybody the prestige else. again, buddy. <laughs> You're free to watch it if you have Netflix. And uh, thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. I'm Dan. I'm Adam. Bye. Bye. Bye.